Yeah, Nev, I love the metaphor of managing time as a budget. Other than Bitcoin, time might be the only actual immutable scarcity in your life, right? You're just trolling me now. Why do you have to mention Bitcoin? I love trolling you on Bitcoin. But you know, money, <laughs> if you're fortunate in, in the right circles, right? Money, you can get money. People, you can get people. But time is the only thing that is actually immutable for a human being. Mm -hmm. It is such a precious, precious resource, and we spend it possibly in the least thoughtful way. This episode of the Startup Podcast is brought to you by Vanta. You might know that sinking feeling. You're about to land a big contract when they ask about compliance. SOC 2, ISO, PCI, Essential 8. You've just snatched defeat from the jaws of victory. Not anymore. Vanta massively accelerates your compliance efforts and allows you to get those life-changing deals back on track. Don't wait until it's panic stations, though. Get started with Vanta today. They're offering 20% off their prices just for TSP listeners. Do yourself a favor. Hit pause. Go to vanta.com slash TSP. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com to get that 20% off. You're listening to The Startup Podcast. This is an educational episode. In-depth masterclasses about the concepts essential to building, running, and investing in Silicon Valley-style startups. Whether you're a founder, investor, or operator in a startup, you'll gain insights into the principles that power high growth disruption the same way Facebook, Google, and Uber do it. The conversation starts now. Hi, I'm Yaniv Bernstein. And I'm Chris Saad. And I'm Henry Shapiro. No matter where you're at in your startup journey, one thing that I can confidently say is that there are more things to do than you have time available to do them. For many founders and other startup folks, the juggle of priorities can be overwhelming and can often lead to burnout. So how do you manage your time as a founder to maximize your effectiveness? Joining us to discuss this topic is Henry Shapiro. Henry has had a stellar career, most recently as VP of product management at software observability platform New Relic. For the past few years, Henry has been co-founder and COO at Reclaim.ai. Reclaim is an AI-powered calendar assistant and time orchestration platform. As a founder who builds a product that helps other people manage their time and priorities, Henry is a perfect person to discuss today's topic. I'm actually an investor in Reclaim, but I also pay full price to use the product because I think it's worth every cent. Henry, welcome to the Startup Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm stoked to be here. So let's bust right in. Why is managing your time as a founder so damn hard? Well, I'll say it this way. When I was a product manager, which I was for a good part of my life before starting Reclaim, I really thought of myself as having sort of a founder's schedule, or I thought of that role as kind of being akin to being a founder inside of a company. As I've gone through my own founder's journey, I've learned that there's a whole bunch of new hard problems of being a founder that I didn't have any familiarity with as a PM. But I do think, I will say that I believe that actually what's challenging for founders in managing their time is not entirely dissimilar from other roles that you see inside of companies, which I'll sort of describe as almost like hub roles. Like if you're in a role where you have to interface with every single person in the company and sort of be in one way or another involved in kind of every department or every facet of what's happening, the reality is there's always going to be more demands for your time than you have ability to fulfill it. Whether you're a founder or a product manager or a sales leader or you know any of those roles that sort of fit into that category, I think that's the first major problem is just constraints. You have lots and lots of people who, for good reason, sort of need and desire time from you. And that just eats away at your ability to command and control 
where you spend your time. Inevitably, when people talk about productivity and time management, what I find sort of frustrating about that entire industry, if you want to call it that, is so often is operating in almost this like vacuum where we're imagining a calendar that is 100% empty and that has zero political or social constraints or corporate demands or any other sorts of like things weighing on people. And it sort of imagines that it's just as easy as saying, oh, we'll just go block out all your time and make the time you need. But one of the things we think a lot about and have thought a lot about over the last five years as we've developed Reclaim and thought about a lot when we were product managers trying to do it ourselves on our own calendars was how do you bridge the gap between where you want to spend your time and the constraints, some of which are potentially immovable. And so I think really problem number one is just the number of things that are competing for your attention. I think the second problem, and again, I don't think this is entirely specific to founders, but I do think founders have it in spades, is just the cost of interruptions. Carnegie Mellon, I think, did a study on this some number of years ago where they looked at the cognitive replacement cost of a single interruption for an engineer. And I think they found something along the lines of 20% of your cognitive ability is lost every time you get interrupted, and it takes you about 20 minutes to get back on track. In our own data, we found that people are getting interrupted about 32 times a day on average. So you add all of that up, especially for a founder who's getting pinged on Slack and pinged on email all day, it can really drive a lot of, you start a project, you pick it up and you can't finish it or you get interrupted halfway through. But those are really the two things that I think of as being, again, not totally unique to founders, but I think that are very exacerbated within founders. Especially when you're a first-time founder, everything can feel urgent. Everything can feel important. Everything can feel life or death and no one else seems to get it or at least care as much as you care. And it turns out only a few things actually matter at any given week or at any given quarter. And so knowing what to focus on, what actually matters at that stage and at that moment is perhaps the art and the science of it, right? We're used to being busy. And sometimes being busy is kind of like a badge of pride that we have. Like, oh, how's work? Oh, man, so busy. <laughs> like, aren't I important? And it's maybe even a trauma from childhood, right? It's like your parents were always busy and that seemed like what adulting was, mm -hmm. right? But we never say, man, I've been very productive, even though I only spent four hours today doing stuff. We don't slap each other on the back saying, good on you. <laughs> you got all your stuff done in just a few hours today. I think that's part of the reason, you know, to answer your question, like, why is it so hard to manage your time? It's upstream. It's hard to know what matters at any given week or month for your startup so that you don't die and minimize opportunity cost. It's funny, listening to both of you talk, one thing that occurs to me is that as founders, and again, this goes beyond just founders, but we don't treat our time with all that much respect. And in particular, we don't treat it as a valuable and finite resource that needs to be spent carefully. So I think a lot of founders are very comfortable with the idea of prioritizing what their company does and certainly with budgeting their capital and making sure the burn rate is okay and they're spending all their money appropriately and so on. But when it comes to their own calendar, to their own life force, it's like, oh yes, I'm just going to take everything on. I'm not going to optimize how I spend my time. I'm not going to optimize what I spend my time on. I'm just going to try to cram it all in and hope for the best. And you know, the best never really happens. I actually worked with a guy back at Google who came up with what he called the infinite work hypothesis, which is basically no matter how much you work through your to-do list, you will never get to the bottom of it. And so yeah. I think having an idea that you have a set of things on your to-do list that they're not linked to time, that they're just there to be done and that you will work until it's done, that means you will never stop working. And that leads right. to burnout. 
I'd love to talk about that link between your schedule, your calendar, and your actual priorities and how you spend your time. Yeah, calendars are funny because I think if you're in an organization or even just a busy professional in general, particularly inside of a startup, is those systems really haven't undergone any type of evolution in the last like 20 or 30 years. They've basically operated almost precisely the same way for as long as we've all been working in professional environments. They're databases of times and places we're supposed to be. And people and organizations don't really pay a lot of attention to them. Like they're kind of this like treadmill that we all sort of wake up and accept. And as the company grows and as things get more complex, like when you first start a company for the very first time, when Patrick and I first started Reclaim, our calendars were totally empty. We had nothing on our calendars. We truly were starting from zero. And as the company grew and as our customer base grew and as our problems grew, my calendar looks a lot more similar to how it looked like at New Relic. And even at a really actually pretty small scale, companies start to see this sort of drift between what's on the schedule and what actually matters to people. And so it's actually kind of this fascinating thing where people just sort of accept that there's this debt they're kind of carrying around week to week. But in theory, our belief is that your calendar should be a almost near perfect reflection, ideal world. It should be a near perfect reflection of what your priorities are. I think this is where a lot of people fall into a trap because there's been so much sort of anti-meeting, pro-focus time, you know, maker-manager schedule discussion that's kind of ignores, I think, an uncomfortable truth about focus time and meetings, which is that there are bad meetings, certainly. There are also good meetings. There are meetings that actually like help people to coordinate their work and collaborate. There's also such a thing as bad focus time. There's focus time that's not directed towards any particular goal. There's people who kind of go through their calendar and lovingly block out every single free space to try to like make themselves feel like they're going heads down, but they don't really have a plan for that time. And it actually sort of hurts their ability to use their calendar as a real portrayal of what they want to get done. And so I believe like first and foremost, I think an exercise that everyone could go and do irrespective of what methodology you ascribe to, whether you're like a get things done person or a Pomodoro person, or like those are all to me like means to an end, no matter what you sort of ascribe to, I think the best thing you could do is just look at your calendar every single week and ask yourself, does this fit with like the top three to five things? that I'm trying to get done and literally like go through that process, like go through all of your events and try to ask yourself without squinting, do all of these things actually map to the things that I believe are important to my role and to my team and to what I believe is, is going to move the business forward or move my life forward or whatever it is you're trying to optimize. I think more often than not, when people go through that exercise, they pretty quickly realize that there's a huge disconnect between what's on their schedule, which is where they're actually going to end up spending their time, at least during their working hours. And what's actually important to them, which is probably, you know, if they're a real scrappy person going to get done in the nights and weekends, which again, to your point is essentially how a lot of burnout happens. I think for me, it's all about leverage and it's all about priorities, right? So what do you care about and where can you spend your time for maximum leverage or impact on that thing you care about? Is it working on the thing? Is it working with the very best vendor to make that thing happen? Is it bringing a cross-functional team together to align them on that thing? And I agree with you, Henry, this whole narrative, this trend, this meme of meetings equals bad, it's so tiresome. It's one of these religions and fads that have come out of nowhere because someone somewhere, maybe it's probably 37 signals because they have all sorts of bad ideas. Someone somewhere decided that <laughs> meetings is bad. And it probably shots fired. Oh, dude, yeah. that, those guys have so many mind viruses that have infected everybody, and yet they've missed every major opportunity in the world. Oh, boy. And so I'm pleading the fifth. I don't know why people even listen to that guy. 
speaks with conviction. Yeah, that's right. He speaks with conviction. But like there's, we talk about cross-functional teams, right? It takes a village to create a product or drive a mission. Well, guess what? Those cross-functional teams have different perspectives and different skills and they need to be aligned. <laughs> and you need, yeah. you need to have at least, at least one cross-functional meeting with them a week to figure out where the hell they are. And at least a few as the product manager to make sure that they're all getting the thing done in unison. Also, it comes down to work style, right? Some people's primary tool is their voice or their primary way of thinking is verbal, brainstorming and ideation. Some people hate that. They're introverts and what have you. And that's fine. They'll use a different tool. But it really is about the right tool for the right job and the right person. But yeah, in terms of arranging your calendar, I couldn't agree with you more, which is just think about your priorities right now for this week, this quarter. Do the events on your calendar align with those priorities? And are those meetings the highest leverage meetings you can be having about those priorities? And if you're down in the minutia and you're a founder fortunate enough to have a bit of capital and a bit of a team, maybe you need a better team so that you can have a bit more leverage in your, in your day. I mean, one thing that I was thinking about is, again, that analogy, Henry, between your time and a financial budget. And there's that old adage, time is money, and you talk about mm -hmm. spending time. So it's there in our language, and yet we don't think of it that way. And the way I would nearly characterize it is we have two approaches that can be pretty broken. One is I'm just going to work on something that's right in front of me. And that's like the person yeah. who just has money and just spends it on what they like impulsively. And obviously that's not a good way to run your finances. And then you have the to-do list. And I was thinking, what's the to-do list? A to-do list is a wish list. A to-do list is, yeah. let's say, I'm sitting here and what are all the things I'd like to buy? And then the way you work through your to-do list is you just start buying things until you run out of money. Right. That's also a pretty dumb right. way to do things. So what is your calendar? Your calendar is your budget. This is a plan for how you're going to spend your time. And I think for founders who are putting so much of their heart and soul into everything they do, not to budget their time, not to actually be thoughtful and mindful about how they use their time is just such a huge missed opportunity. Definitely. And I think the other thing, I mean, just like any good budget, you need to have a little bit of wiggle room in it. You know, I mean, that's the other challenge with this process of we used to go through this. I mean, this was how we basically started Reclaim was Sunday night, Patrick and I would get together. We were working together as PMs and we would go through our calendars Sunday night and say, let's go lovingly curate the perfect work week. Like we're going to say no to this thing and move this thing around. And on Monday morning, it felt so good. And we had teams that were global, you know, in Europe and, and Australia and elsewhere. And so by the time literally Monday at 6 a.m., I had 10 pings in my Slack that were like, hey, your calendar looks really full. Can I get some time? Hey, I need you to talk to customer XYZ. Can I get 30 minutes to hop on your calendar? And obviously we have to be good stewards of our time. But if the CEO pinged me and said, I need to talk to you about this project you're working on, let's get some time today. I'm probably not going to say no. I'm probably going to say, yep, that sounds really important. Let's go have a conversation. Again, back to that point of constraints. You're constrained by the literal number of hours in the day on your calendar. You're constrained by your ability and energy to service everything that's in your to-do list, on your calendar, et cetera, in addition to maintaining your life, which is an important thing. But then you're also constrained, I think, to some degree by... This is something, again, I think that doesn't get enough attention. The sort of like somewhat social and political war that is waged and won in the calendar, which is about, you know, you see it in these sort of discussions around how rude is it to send a scheduling link to someone versus to send times and how rude is it to RSVP maybe to a meeting? Like there's all these little cues that we're taking and it is a kind of social network in effect. But I do think that you always have to have, and this is, I think, particularly important for founders and probably the number one thing I've learned is you do not want to be at 100% capacity on your budget. 
that is a bad idea because Monday's going to roll around and you will need that capacity. I don't know how much capacity you're going to need. Some weeks it may be more than others, but you need to give yourself some ability to be spontaneous because opportunities will come up, constraints and inbound demands will come up and stuff will happen. You know, urgent things will happen. Emergencies will happen. And you do need to be able to sort of budget for those things without feeling like, oh crap, my whole week just got torn to shreds. Yeah, no, I love the metaphor of managing time as a budget. Other than Bitcoin, time might be the only actual immutable scarcity in your life, right? You're just trolling me now. Why did you have to mention Bitcoin? I love trolling you on Bitcoin. But you know, money, <laughs> if you're fortunate in, in the right circles, right? Money, you can get money. People, you can get people. But time is the only thing that is actually immutable for a human being. Mm -hmm. By the way, complete aside, there's this fantastic movie called In Time, which is a wonderful metaphor about poverty and about scarcity and using time as this unit of measurement. It's really wonderful movie. Go check it out. But it is such a precious, precious resource, and we spend it possibly in the least thoughtful way. I just want to make a quick point, though, about what you said, Henry, which is, yes, there are some things, political things and urgent things, this is your unexpected expenditures, and you just have to account for them. But if we're talking about time management more broadly, I do find product managers especially, but CEOs and other leaders don't spend enough time thinking about mitigating that thrash upstream. And so they allow dumb requirements, they allow dumb questions, they allow dumb meetings onto their calendar. Even customer support, they allow dumb tickets and they don't yeah. take a moment and say, I will respond to that with a document or a deck mm -hmm. or a yeah. resource that I can then refer people to from that point forward. And it's actually sometimes worse than that. They'll create the document or the deck or the resource. And when someone asks the question somewhat slightly differently, or they ask the question They'll again, make a whole new one. they make a whole new one. I remind yep. my founders and my product managers, like, just send them the roadmap again. Just like, yeah. not out of spite, not out of arrogance, out of reminding their visual memory of like, oh, that's right. They've already sent that to me and I can refer to that in the future. This episode of the Startup Podcast is brought to you by Vanta. The team at Vanta are passionate about helping you secure your business by vastly cutting down on the time to get compliant with frameworks like ISO 27001, SOC 2, and Essential 8. Vanta lets you close deals, sleep better at night, and get back to building your product. Help yourself and help the podcast by going to vanta.com slash TSP for an exclusive 20% off deal. I'm very interested to talk about tools for time management. And I mean, partly because obviously I'm interested in this space generally from a software standpoint, but also because I, I don't know if you saw Nir Eyal's interview with Lenny Richitsky recently. We've actually had Nir Eyal on our podcast a couple of times. No way. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And it was so interesting because I watched it. And on the one hand, like I love Nir. We've met with him before. He's a brilliant guy and has just so much to say about this space that I think is really, really interesting. But I feel like there is sometimes this kind of like, just do it sort of mentality with time blocking as if we couldn't figure out before how to like just put long stretches of events on our calendars. And I think there's this whole part of why I think about this sort of idea of like wiggle room in your budget or flexibility is the reason people don't do this or the reason they burn out on that process is primarily because there's only so many Sunday nights you can do it before you realize it's kind of pointless because Monday morning rolls around and everything seems to be chaos. Yeah. So I think there's some interesting discussion around just like, why don't people do this? What are the things that keep people from doing this in reality? The analogy I was going to draw is with health and fitness. Right, exactly. You can listen to all these podcasts and, you know, it's very popular at the moment, right? How to optimize your macros and this and that and like, what's the best workout routine and everything. 
And then a lot of the advice, you listen to dozens of hours of content, you're like, oh, okay. So what you should do is you should sleep well and you should eat healthy food, do some exercise and, you know, not drink alcohol, whatever. It's like, everyone knows this stuff. It's not very interesting. Mm -hmm. There's actually nothing new. They put a whole sort of scientific veneer around. It's like, yeah, eat lots of vegetables, <laughs> donate to, anyway, all of this stuff. And it's like, the problem is not the knowledge, it's the psychology. And that's actually the interesting bit, right? It's a, how do you, yeah. how do you make it happen in your actual life? hundred percent. And I think that metaphor is perfect because I've been noticing recently, I don't know if you've noticed this as well, every single year for the last 20 years, they have lowered the bar on how long of a walk you need to take to not die early in life. I think when I was a kid, it used to be like, go for a walk for an hour every day and that'll prevent type two diabetes and arthritis and all this other stuff. One thing I've noticed over the past decade or two is every single year, the stat comes out that says, walk this many minutes a day and you'll live longer. And I think the most recent editorial that I saw in the New York Times was like 10 minutes. It's like literally just go outside for 10 minutes and walk around the block. And here's all this research that suggests you'll live three years longer. And there's like all this incredible amount of value from just doing something little. And I think that's what's so challenging to use the metaphor about fitness is that there's almost such an obsession with it. And there's such an obsession with perfecting it or optimizing it when everyone else is like, I really actually need a pretty low bar for what I can do to like introduce this habit very gently into my life so that I start actually sticking to it and getting addicted to it. And I think time management and calendaring is a kind of similar skill set where I've seen people do this. I mean, both our own users who get really excited about Reclaim and like totally overdo it in the beginning and sort of burn themselves out on it. And I've seen it with people manually managing their own calendar, which is they just take on this sort of incredible burden of I'm going to become like a master and commander of my schedule. And they don't realize that that's actually kind of like a full-time job. Like it's a big undertaking to do that. And to your point, Chris, it also probably is going to start pulling on the thread of shit. There's probably a bunch of upstream stuff I'm not doing here. Like it's going to promote all this anxiety. It's going to bring out all this like stuff in you that can be really stressful and really like energy sapping. So yeah, I think that's a really astute metaphor in the same way, because I do feel like so much of this time management productivity philosophy is so focused on, well, just do this thing. Just do this one thing. It's not that hard. Like it's not that hard to go time block out, make your calendar a to-do list. It's really simple. The reality of what our lives look like just oftentimes doesn't make that maintainable. You can get it done in a small window of time, but then time rolls over and suddenly it's not that way anymore. I feel we've hit on something interesting here. Like we've used two metaphors so far, right? If I think about it, both personal finances and fitness are these huge industries of telling you over and over again, these simple things with finance, it's like save more than you spend, spend money on things that you love and invest mm -hmm. the rest. The problem is not the knowledge. And in fact, you know, I'm looking at our run sheet and I was going to say, what does the science have to say about the best way to manage and prioritize your time? And I'm happy to go there if you like, Henry, but I'm nearly like, well, we kind of know, right? And you've said some of right. it already, like eliminate distractions, work on the things that matter, be ruthless with your time, that sort of thing. But really the question is, how do we actually in our real yeah. lives make that happen in a way that isn't hyper-optimizing and that is actually sustainable over a long period? Because again, like with fitness and finance, the real dividend comes from maintaining this over years or decades rather than just having a sprint of like, my calendar's perfect for a week and then next week is a pile of crap again. What's interesting, Yanev, is fitness and finance both benefit greatly from coaches, third-party mm. service mm. providers that hold you accountable, whether it's an accountant or financial manager, or it's a fitness coach and personal trainer. You've described on your website, Henry, Reclaim as like your AI calendar. 
And to be frank, I've not used it, right? And so what I'm curious about is how do you guys think about AI perhaps potentially acting as that real-time fitness counter for your budget of time to mix all the metaphors? <laughs> We're kind of getting into, I'd say, what's different about calendars relative to, say, fitness or finances. We have all sorts of great tools that actually know a fair bit about us. I mean, literally, like this thing. I've got biometrics coming out of my watch that can tell me all sorts of information about how I'm doing and how much I've exercised today and has all sorts of little nudges to keep me accountable. Budget tracking software operates the same way. I think people get really caught up in this idea that like the calendar sucks. Calendar just sucks. And I don't think it's actually the calendar. I think it's scheduling. And maybe people are sort of conflating that idea, but they're really two separate concepts. With email, there's thousands of things to triage every day. That's why email sucks. Email sucks because it's wading through a sea of just like crap. Calendar events, you're talking about, even for a really busy person, maybe 60 things to triage, like maybe in your whole week. So it's not the volume of data that's challenging. It's not the volume of information. It's that when we go to schedule, we're not trying to solve a math problem. Like when we go to figure out how we should build our little calendar Tetris machine to kind of give ourselves the right week, it's not a math problem or a bin packing problem. It's a negotiation problem. We're negotiating with ourselves. We're saying, what can I trade off that I care about to make room for this other thing? Or should I make this trade off? And similarly, when we're trying to schedule meetings, especially among two or more or even three or more busy people, we're all making trade-offs. Like all that work doesn't happen in the calendar. It happens in like email and Slack and elsewhere where I'm pinging people and saying, hey, we really need to get together. All of our calendars are bonkers. I can trade this thing off. Can you make this trade off? And what we're doing in all those little moments is we are making decisions about our priorities. We're saying, hey, not this, this. That to me is really the promise of where I think this whole space is going. And AI to me is an incredible interface to interact with that type of service. And it's also a great way for software to interpret and understand what's on the calendar. But at the end of the day, what we really need to make this type of like time blocking or get things done or Pomodoro method, you know, whatever methodology you ascribe to, I really think this is genuinely a problem where the tools we have just suck. They don't know what matters to us. They can't take action on our behalf. And so all the real work that happens is happening sort of outside of the calendar in all that sort of downstream and upstream negotiation for our time. So certainly there's a world that I could imagine where you wake up in the morning, in the background, your calendar has been feeding all of your events into a large language model. You've maybe given it a bit of input, maybe last week, maybe there's some set of running instructions that you've described to it. And you've said, you know, these are the three to five things that are really important. Don't touch this. This is actually like, I know it's not in my priority list, but like, I kind of need to spend time with Dan. Dan's been, you know, bumming lately and he needs a pep talk or something like that. And you wake up in the morning and your plan is already set for you. And that Monday morning moment where you say, oh shit, there's actually now a ton more demands for my time. I've gone in and said, hey, I actually need to make a change here. And so take everything you know about me, take everything you know about my calendar and take some action. I don't think that's going to happen from LLMs alone. LLMs are good at a lot of things. They're actually tremendously terrible at math and scheduling. But I think the incorporation of LLM is what's going to allow us the really amazing, like pretty seamless power to very quickly interpret, is this calendar event a P1? Is it a P2? Is it a P3? And get to that level of nuance that we need.
I've had both the combined fortune and misfortune of bouncing back and forth between having access to an executive assistant in my career and having to manage my own calendar. And I think that's one of the points at which I got interested in Reclaim because I think a really good executive assistant does exactly what you're describing, which is they're not just someone who does things for you. They're a companion and aspiring partner and someone who keeps you accountable to making sure your time is spent on the things that you say that matter. And, you know, I think you got on the AI bandwagon early in the sense of, you know, you've called yourself Reclaim.ai for the last four and a half years. And when the product first launched, I'm sure you won't mind me saying there was zero AI in it. <laughs> but I think the point is it's more you've had that constant vision, I think. Tell me if I'm wrong, which is that you are working towards having this sort of intelligent executive assistant companion that helps you make the most of your time. Definitely. I think the calendar is the wedge in the world for the personal assistant problem. And I think it's really mm -hmm. brilliant of you to have started there and to focus there. You know, we have a lot of founders listening to this podcast and other startup folks. And as with the fitness problem, right? You said, oh, now the advice is like people are being told, well, just at least try to walk for 10 minutes a day, right? So I think similarly, if you're sitting there going, my calendar is cactus, my priorities are not reflected in it. It's all a giant mess and I'm stressed and I'm approaching burnout. What's one thing a person, in your opinion, should start doing today that is not perfection, that is progress, and that is something that is easy to turn into a sustainable habit? Make a routine and use the word habit. So I'll just say, make a habit on your calendar. You can do it for free with Reclaim, or you can just do it manually as a recurring event if you want to do it that way. But make a habit for all of the, what we'll call sort of shallow work that you have to get done. Literally give yourself a bookend, beginning of the day and end of day for basically catch up work. I think literally just taking the step of saying there's a space in the day every morning and every afternoon where I go through my inbox, I go through Slack, I spend my time catching up on notifications, and then my day begins and then my day ends when I do it again gives you a sort of an initial structure and an initial rhythm to your day. And it starts to introduce this idea that you should find a bucket of time to take all the stuff that we all know is kind of maybe urgent seeming, but probably not the highest leverage activity that we do every day, which is respond to notifications and put those things literally into a bin. That to me is the very first thing I would advise people to do. That makes sense. Just to sort of dig in on that a little bit, you know, you mentioned just then the notifications and we talked about distractions. One of the things that tends to happen is even if you've got this, this allotted time to deal with them, it's like, oh, okay, then I get a Slack message or something, or someone walks up to my mm -hmm. desk if I'm in person. So what's your advice, I guess, alongside having this block of time for minimizing that context switching cost and also that, I guess, unfunded mandate, right? Because it's eating into your time budget for something else you said yeah. you were going to do. How do you reduce yep. that? in a way that isn't a massively heavy lift. I mean, Apple gives you actually tremendously good tools for this. I don't know how many folks have spent or if you've spent time playing with the focus mode and personal and work hours in iOS. There's all sorts of places we get notified. I mean, we've got an integration with Slack, for example, that sets your Slack status to do not disturb during certain hours or for certain types of events. And that's certainly one venue. I use that. But then also I basically make my iOS screen a more or less blank canvas during my work hours. There's nothing on there. I pretty much mute every notification except my co-founder. That's pretty much the method I've been using for a long time. Now, when it comes to Slack, I actually leave myself fairly open because my perspective is I have to be somewhat disciplined about deciding when I'm going to respond to something. But honestly, I think the biggest win for me was just setting up this sort of boundary in the day around 
this is what my phone looks like when I'm at work. And this is what my phone looks like when I'm not at work. And my phone when I'm not at work is like everything I want, you know, all my other apps and everything else that I want to spend time on and everything else that I care about in my life. But my work phone looks basically like a blank home screen. That's pretty much my go-to. We got similar advice from Nereal, who we actually, we talked about him briefly before. Henry has also been on the podcast and we talked about using tools, but it's also about making sure that all the tools that are actually not serving you, that are distracting you, are, mm -hmm. are actually put away. Well, Henry, this has been a fantastic conversation. I think our listeners will get a lot out of this. I'm sure we all struggle with this. And again, like with health and fitness, the aim here is not perfection. The aim is to get a little bit better and then to continue to get better and to use whatever tools that are at your disposal to do that. So I don't want people listening to this to despair. It's a really tough problem, but even small incremental improvements can yield really big results. So thanks for the discussion. Thank you guys. It was great. So Henry, for folks who've been listening to this, they'd like to hear more from you. Where can they find you online? You can find me on Twitter at na underscore serious, N-A-H underscore serious, and also on LinkedIn and my name, Henry Shapiro. And then of course you can check out Reclaim and the company we've been working on for a while at reclaim.ai. And I understand you actually got a little discount that you're willing to offer to TSP listeners. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you can use promo code TSP and you can get 20% off your first year of Reclaim. All right. Well, thanks again, Henry. It's been a pleasure. Have a good one. Thanks so much for doing this, Henry. Absolutely. Thank you. Really appreciate it. This episode of the Startup Podcast was brought to you by Vanta. Vanta helps businesses get and stay compliant by automating up to 90% of the work for the most in-demand compliance frameworks. With over 200 integrations, you can easily monitor and secure the tools your business relies on. Head to vanta.com slash TSP for 20% off their incredible offering and start unlocking extra revenue today.